The BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by InWeGo. It's Denver's best subscription that allows you to go to as many events as you can for only $39 a month. No additional costs or fees either. Literally hundreds of events in Denver for $39 a month. For instance, over the next few weeks, here's what you could hit up. Nuggets versus Nets at Pepsi Center Friday, Denver's next home game. Beer flights at Pro's Brewing C versus Washington State this coming weekend. Comedy shows at Comedy Works. Guys, I'm telling you, there's literally something for everyone with InWeGo. If it's going on in Denver, there's a good chance that InWeGo can get you in. Here's where it gets really good for BSN listeners. We've partnered with InWeGo to give you guys a great deal. If you go to InWeGo.com backslash BSN or download their app for free and use promo code BSN50 when you subscribe, you're going to get 50% off your first month. That's right. All those events in Denver, hundreds more for only 20 bucks during your first month. Try it and you're going to fall in love with it. Again, inwego.com backslash BSN or download the app for free. As always, use promo code BSN50. Welcome in to the BSN Nuggets podcast presented by Inwego. Joined by a special guest, Mason Plumlee. I thought he was going to knock that ref out in L.A. <laughs> Coaches will get testy with officials, but to run out onto the court and yeah. cut him off, yeah. I've never seen that before. You should have taken a charge on him. That <laughs> a special guest, Darrell Arthur. When did you first realize Nicole Jokic was good? He was in Philadelphia for Jameer's kind of like team bonding thing, and I knew it right away that he was going to be good. He was making great passes and good reads and stuff like that, and I said, this kid's going to be good. He's turned out to be a star. He has a great upside to him, and I know he'll be a Hall of Famer once he's done playing. And now, here's your hosts, Harrison Wind and Christian Clark. As always, the BSN Nuggets podcast is presented by InWeGo, the subscription that can get you into almost any event in Denver. Tuesday edition of the show, Harrison Wind, Christian Clark. Boy, do we have a game to recap today, Christian. We're almost 24 hours removed right now when we're recording here on Tuesday afternoon. We're about 20 hours removed from the start of a career night from Jamal Murray. Obviously, 48 points. And man, a lot to get into from this game. I'm still jacked up from it. I can't get over what we saw last night. I felt like last night, just to start things off here, was a moment among many in the past couple years that we could look back to when we're looking at this Nuggets rise over the past couple years. Jamal Murray, 48 points, a career high, and not just a career high, but how he did it I thought was so impressive. I don't know. This moment seems like it's really big. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the Nuggets easily could have just laid down in this game. They got down by 18 points early on. The Celtics are a freaking loaded team. And look, they're not playing their best basketball right now. Gordon Hayward is not even close to being 100%. That's pretty evident. But they're still a really good, really deep basketball team. And they played an A-plus first quarter. Denver took it right on the chin and got back into that game. It was the type of game where Denver would have just laid down last year to take you know a really good team's best shot, and they just kept chipping away and chipping away. It was really impressive. It was. Gordon Hayward looked like crap, I thought. He looks terrible. Yeah. I mean, he was a non-factor out there. He looked slow. He was not aggressive. I know that's how he's been for most of the year, recovering from that terrible injury. But, man, he was not dangerous. But the Celtics as a team... Like, that first five is ferocious. I mean, they came out in that first quarter. They wanted to win that game last night really badly. Like, they had their full allotment of players. They weren't holding back. They wanted that game, and they showed that in the first quarter. But how Denver came back was so impressive from 18 down. Here's a question for you and something I've been thinking about. Was losing game 82 last year in Minnesota a good thing? for this organization. I know last year it did not seem that way. They really needed to go to the playoffs last year. A playoff appearance, even if they would have gotten swept, they would have gotten one game from Golden State. That would have done a lot for this franchise. But thinking back to that and where they are now and 
the no panic mindset that Jamal Murray talked about after this game, just the resilience that they have to come back when they're dead in the water, and we saw it against Boston. We saw it to an extent against Cleveland when they had that terrible first quarter and they battled back. We saw it against Chicago when they were down by, what, six points in the fourth quarter, which is a couple minutes left, and maybe last year they roll over. I'm starting to believe that losing game 82 last year, as crazy as it sounds, was a good thing for this team. Because when you ask guys about that game and why things are different this year, a lot of them point back to that night. I thought the quote of the night after the game came from Jamal Murray. He said, I've been here for two years, and both years we've missed the playoffs by one game. Now we're taking every game like it was a Minnesota game. Everybody has that feeling that if we lose one game now, it's going coming back to haunt us at the end of the year. I, th- I think when you look back at Game 82, it was a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And I remember you know, I spent the whole summer saying, oh, it's such a shame that the Nuggets you know, didn't get held under the microscope in the playoffs because it would have forced them to look in the mirror and work on their flaws. But that it appears that's what happened after they lost Game 82. I mean, look, the, the single biggest difference with this team, I think there are many of them, but the single biggest difference right now is the effort. Uh, on the defensive end. They're not doing that much different, differently, schematically. They're just playing a lot harder. They're, they're making multiple rotations. They're they're running guys off the three-point line. They're trying like hell to contest guys like at the rim or, or take charges. I mean, Monte Morris took that charge on, on Marcus Morris and just got bowled over mm. last night. I mean, the effort is night and day, and I really do think you know, losing that, that do-or-die game in Minnesota – forced Denver to look in the mirror a little bit, and, and everybody has worked on their deficiencies a little bit. Can we talk about Nikola Jokic as a defender for a second? I know we want to get into Murray, but since you brought up the defense, the level that Nikola Jokic is playing on the defensive end of the floor right now, I'm not sure I ever thought he had this in him, to be quite honest. I didn't. <laughs> Going from what he was last year and the year before to this year, It's like a 180-degree shift. He had one closeout last night, and we were sitting next to each other at the game. I think I turned to you. If you remember the play I'm talking about, let me know on Twitter. But he closed out to somebody on the perimeter with a determination force that I've never seen from him. And I've watched Nikola Jokic play every single game of his NBA career. He's never done stuff like this before. And I know we talk about Paul Millsap as the engine of this defense, and he surely is, but... The level of defense that Nikola Jokic is playing right now is unbelievable. I really do say this honestly. I did not think he had this in him. The NBA is such a star-driven league. I mean, and teams, to a certain extent, take on the identity of their star. I think one of the biggest reasons why the Nuggets are such such an unselfish team is Nikola Jokic is the most unselfish superstar out there. And when you see your best guy, um, your your highest-paid guy, actually, Paul Millsap might be, but one of your highest-paid guys... paid guys you know busting his butt out there then everyone's gonna want to follow suit too I don't know what's going on with Jokic's offense right now his third straight game scoring single digit points he only did that once last year and the third time he did it in that streak of three was when he got benched in Dallas and then responded with the best month and a half of his career to end last season but he's in a weird funk slash mood right now on the offensive end of the floor like his assist numbers look great if we think of him as the point guard of Denver's offense he's putting up great stats right eight assists per game nine ten assists per game but we think of him as this scorer first and foremost he's not looking to score a lot right now and I think his fingers still bothering him that he jammed before training camp there was a clip last night of a Nuggets huddle on altitude that somebody sent me on Twitter where He's kind of clenching his hand. You can tell it's bothering him. So I think that might be something that's playing a hand in this. But what do you think of him on the offensive end? Are you concerned? Yeah, I would say I'm mildly concerned that he's he's not shooting the ball as much as he needs to. I believe this was the third time in the last four games where he finished with single-digit field goal attempts, uh, just three shots. Yeah, it was the third time in a row. In the Celtics game, so... You know, I think the Celtics game was a little bit unique in that Boston was pretty much doubling him the whole night. 
So it just made sense for him to, to function mostly as a distributor. But I think there were definitely times when he passed up wide open threes. And, you know, that's something I've seen, you know, quite a bit this season and quite a bit in his career. He, he's got such great touch. I don't know why he isn't, why he is hesitant to, to jack up those threes sometimes. So, yeah, I, w- I would just classify it as mild concern. And, you know, it's not as glaring of an issue last year as it is this year because he's playing defense now and that mitigates some of those issues. I think you really do wonder though, and this was something we talked about, I believe on Friday's podcast, how much does the fact that he's putting in all this effort on the defensive end of the floor now, taking away from what he's able to put out on the offensive end, just from like a pure energy standpoint, we know he's not a guy who's in the best shape. We know he's not a Russell Westbrook or uh, Jalen Brown. He's not a premier NBA athlete that can probably go as hard as he possibly can on both ends of the floor. Is maybe how hard he's playing on defense impacting his offense? I I think there might be something there. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think there could be, but I don't know, man. It it just looks like I mean, he has energy to whip the ball all over the place. Um, I, I mean, I think it's mostly just, you know, him getting a little gun shy, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking for excuses, to be honest right now, because I do agree Boston seemed like their defensive efforts were really focused on him, but you know, they weren't focused on him enough for him to only get three shots. Like, he could have taken more than three field goal attempts in the entire game. Yeah, I mean, for the Nuggets to be the best version of themselves, like, Jokic is going to have to score the ball. I mean, they can be really freaking good, even if he's only a distributor, as we saw last night. But, yeah, the the A-plus version of the Nuggets definitely, you know, has Nikola Jokic scoring the basketball. And and that's what's crazy, because they're 9-1, but we haven't seen the A-plus version of the Denver Nuggets yet. Yeah, and I'm really curious to see what happens to Jokic's field goal attempts you know, once Will Barton comes back. Um, Will Barton is one of the best guys on the roster, in my opinion, probably number two right behind Monte Morris in terms of just getting Jokic the ball in the spots that he likes to operate from. Um, you know, Barton and Jokic have such great chemistry together, so I would, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if, if Jokic just looks like you know, the, the, the player he did the, the final month and a half last season once Barton returns. Yeah, we're still a ways away from that, though. We, we yeah. still got a lot of games here to get through before we think about Barton returning. I want to go back to what I just said real quick. The Nuggets are 9-1. and one. They have the third best defense in the league. After last night, they have, wait for it, wait for it, the ninth best offense in the league. They're in the top 10 in offense and defense, and that's usually the qualifier you put on quote-unquote contending teams and elite teams in this league. That, that's what's crazy. They haven't hit their ceiling, in my opinion. They're not close to hitting their ceiling. And that's the scary part about this team if you're looking at their potential and if you're looking at how far they could go this season and beyond. They're not even scratching the surface of what they're capable of. Sure, the defense might continue to take small steps back. I still think it will. I don't think this is going to be the third best defense for the entire season. But offensively, they're going to be better than the ninth-ranked offense for the rest of the season. And those two things will balance each other out. And I do think with a better offense, it's going to heighten their ceiling a bit. Yeah, I agree with that. And my question is, you know, once they start scoring the basketball a little more efficiently, is their defensive effort going to be the same or even close to the same? I think they could keep the same defensive effort. The defensive efficiency and the rate they stop people at will drop off, though, a bit. That's just what happens naturally. You know, there's only a few teams out there that can be a top-two offense and a top-two defense. I don't think the Nuggets are there yet. There, there's such a business-like approach with this team right now. And Mike Malone, you know, their Nuggets are starting to get some buzz. And you know, he had a quote last night. He was like, so what? Like, we're, we've only played 10 games we're finally playing defense now. We've got 72 more to go. I mean, he's pretty much held that line all season, and his players have too. And you know what? I kind of like it. I like it too. Nobody's getting ahead of themselves, even though, man, 9-1 and one is an impressive mark. There's, I guess, a good and bad starting the season 9-1. and one. The good is 
you obviously build an advantage over these playoff teams and whatnot. The bad is expectations are through the roof now. You know, now if they drop this game in Memphis, they come home and somehow drop this game against Brooklyn, which I don't think they do, but suddenly you have a lot more questions about this team, whereas if they were, say, 6-4 and four through 10 games, the expectations are just naturally a lot lower. So they're going to have to deal with heightened expectations, not just locally but nationally too, because like you said, they're on people's radar now. This is the team that's not sneaking up on anybody anymore. Jamal Murray just dropped 48 points. He's in a public feud with Kyrie Irving right now. Nikola Jokic is recognized as one of the best offensive players in the league. Opposing coaches, when they come through Denver now, last year they were saying, yeah, Nikola Jokic, he's one of the best passing big men in the league. Now they're saying he's the best passer in the league. You know, there's no debate there anymore. So the Nuggets aren't sneaking up on anybody anymore. I think they do embrace these expectations. Yeah, I mean, I think the reason why the bandwagon is completely full now at at capacity is the Nuggets, what they're doing, I mean, it looks, I mean, it is a formula for success in the postseason. You, you just have to play both ends. If, if you want to win playoff series, I mean, all championship contenders, you know, pretty much finished top 10 in def- defensive and offensive efficiency. I don't think the Nuggets are going to be a championship contender this year, but the way they're playing looks like they could win a playoff series. It does look like they could win a playoff series. We got a lot more to get to on today's show. We're probably going to spend most of the rest of the show talking about Jamal Murray's night. Maybe we'll fit in some chatter about the bench and some other observations from a memorable Monday night at Pepsi Center. But before we do, it's that time of year for many sports fans, and that means it's time to win some money. The most important thing I hear from fans when it comes to online betting is, how fast can I get my money after I win, right? That's why I'm happy to tell you about my bookie. Not only does my bookie offer the highest credit card acceptance rates, but when you win, they pay out fast, putting money in your hands right away. Here's what you got to know about my bookie. First off, I would only recommend a service to my listeners that's been good to me. And that's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay fast. They also have in game live betting, the most rewarding player perks in the business, and for you fantasy guys out there. You can even bet the over-under on how many fantasy points a player will score each game. So if you join MyBookie right now, they were actually match your deposit dollar for dollar, but you've got to use the promo code BSN100 to activate that offer. Again, these guys are going to match your deposit dollar for dollar, but to get that, you must use the promo code BSN100. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E. Don't forget to use the promo code BSN100 when creating your account to claim that bonus. And you play, you win, you get paid. So Jamal Murray, Christian, a career night for him, obviously. 48 points, 19 of 30 shooting. 5 of 11 from 3. What I will say about him before we get really into his night and the end with taking that shot for 50 and if that was the right move to do and whatnot. I'll say this. I got the feeling at shoot around that this could be a big night for Jamal Murray on bsndenver.com. I wrote an oral history of this entire night, this entire game, and really going back to shoot around Monday morning and some comments Jamal Murray had. He has a confidence that never leaves him, and, and he was certainly confident at shoot-around Monday morning, saying every time he walks on the floor, he feels like the best player. He talked about going up against Kyrie Irving, and I get the sense that not just from his comments Monday morning before the game, but before he's played guys like Steph Curry, before that game in L.A. against the Lakers and LeBron and Lonzo and that fan base, a second fan base now that isn't too fond of Jamal Murray, He gets up for games against really good teams and also really good opposing point guards. And I think Kyrie Irving is one of those guys he gets up to play against. So I had a feeling we might be getting a big Jamal Murray game. I didn't think we'd be getting 48 points in a career high, though. But I definitely got the sense that, hey, this is the game where Jamal is definitely going to come out aggressive. He's going to look for a shot early and often. He's going to try to get going in the first quarter, try to just establish himself and Sure enough, that's what we got. I mean, do you get that sense that he's a guy? And this certainly isn't the case for everybody on the Nuggets roster because we know Nikola Jokic isn't getting up for a game in L.A. or getting up for a game against the Boston Celtics. But 
Do you get the sense that Murray does? Oh, absolutely. I think he loves playing against great players. And him and Kyrie Irving, I mean, there are so many similarities between the two. Uh, just bucket getting guards. Um, <laughs> it's pretty clear that Jamal Murray is fond of Kyrie Irving. This was the second year in a row that, you know, he went on and on about the way Kyrie Irving uses angles on the floor mm -hmm. and how he, he's learned from that. So Jamal Murray has, has a lot of admiration from Kyrie. And I think when the ball goes up, he tries to kick his ass. Um, and Gary Harris agrees with you, your theory. Uh, he said last night after the game that Jamal is a big game player. That's when he plays his best. I mean, Murray was nails in that do or die game against Minnesota. So uh, that's something we, we've seen time and time again. Um, Jamal Murray definitely has a little extra juice when, when he's playing against other great point guards, I think. I'll tell you what's great about Jamal Murray and why he's such a great franchise cornerstone here in Denver is because the Nuggets just need somebody like him. Like Nicole Jokic could probably go off for 48, but Gary Harris can't go off for 48 points. And we know, I'm pretty sure that Gary Harris has been this team's second best player so far this season, just in terms of a consistency thing, but he's not going off for 48 points, you know. Jamal Murray can, though. Like Jamal Murray's got the confidence, the cockiness, the selfishness to go off for 48 points, where I don't think a lot of guys could. Every team needs a dash of irrational confidence. Too yes. much, and it's not very good, and too little, and you know maybe your ceiling's a little bit lower. Jamal Murray provides that irrational confidence for the Nuggets. He's the only irrational confidence guy they have. So he has a big first quarter, obviously. Scores those 10 straight points, but Denver's down big because Boston was just hitting everything and anything over the first quarter of the game. Has it going in the second? A little bit of a lull in the third. What were you thinking in the third? Because he was obviously red hot in the first half, carried the Nuggets, but you know when a guy's on fire like that and you're trying to find him and he's hitting shots, everything's great, but then when he gets a little cold and you're still trying to force feed him, it takes you out of your offense entirely. And the Nuggets, you know, when they were feeding Murray, they weren't really within their normal offense, so they were out of it anyway. But especially in the third when he was cold, I was thinking, oh, no, they're trying to feed him. He's cold. He doesn't have it anymore. They're so far removed from their normal offense that it's going to be tough to get back into. And I thought that might be the end of things. But then, sure enough, he got hot in the fourth and – you know, really carried him down the stretch. But just the types of shots he was making in this game were unbelievable, I thought. Yeah, 48 points and 48 different celebrations, too. He <laughs> he licked his lips. He fired the arrow. Um, that was the most intense arrow firing I, I've ever seen him do. Uh, that was pretty fun to watch. Um, there are some in Denver, and I'm not going to name names. There are some members of the Denver media who aren't too fond of Jamal Murray's Blue Arrow celebration. And I think that's blasphemous. The Blue Arrow is a great <laughs> celebration. It's a great nickname. Every star player needs a three-point celebration that they go to. This is Jamal Murray's. Embrace it. It's a nickname. It fits him perfectly. Preach and then at them. No, just kidding. Um, I, I, I'm with you, man. The, the Blue Arrow is a great celebration. It fits in with his nickname. It fits in with what he does on the floor. Jamal Murray has been an elite shooter. I mean, he made the second most threes by college freshman ever behind Steph Curry. I'm with it, man. I'm with the uniformity of the celebration with the nickname with the game. I think it all works for me. Um, <laughs> some of those shots were ridiculous. I think the most impressive bucket of the night was the one he got 48 on. I mean, there were just two Celtics draped all over him on the inbounds play. I mean, it was even kind of remarkable that he caught the ball in the inbounds play. He had to go up and get it like a wide receiver. Yeah. And then... It, you know, once he got that ball, nothing was going to stop him from, from taking it to the rack. He really got going with those those twisting layups in the fourth quarter. I mean, early on, it was almost exclusively jump shots. He had 23 at halftime, and I think he'd only made one shot at the rim. So early on, it was all mid-range and threes. And then late, he went to those layups that, to me, almost looked like Kyrie Irving layups. Yeah, the twisting reverse layups around the rim. Ironically enough, one of his easier shots of the night a reverse layup would have given him 50 points on the dot that he missed in the final minute. Offensive brilliance from Jamal Murray. It's funny, we talk about how he can never really create space when he's going one-on-one -on -one against 
like-sized guards and even bigger men. But he seemed like he didn't have a problem creating space in this game. The step back was certainly on. And then he his counter to the step back when the defender is still with him and he goes kind of up and under him, that was clicking for him too. So he's still got a ways to go in terms of developing some more shake to his game, but he didn't have any issue on Monday. Well, I think the reason it looked like that was he was just so damn hot that they're terrified yeah. of the jump shot. And yep. they're getting them zero airspace. So so one small fake, and they were jumping. I mean, he hit that scoop shot a, a number of times, maybe three different times. It was so fun to watch. And it was funny. Michael Blone said after the game that he was kind of frustrated after the first quarter because I believe Jamal had 12 points in the first, but he also had three turnovers. We saw early on that he was struggling with the point guarding aspects of the game, which has kind of been an issue really for him this season. But Jamal cleaned things up as the game went on, and, I mean, he just went into God mode. That kind of did overshadow his turnover struggles for another game here. And Yeah, he did clean those up in the second half, or maybe they were just channeling the ball to him that he didn't really have to make those same passes in the second half (laughs) to Nikola Jokic. Uh, He was just shooting it every time. But, um, yeah, he's still got a lot of trouble. Uh, passing the ball to Jokic in the post on the elbow. It's weird because I don't feel like we spoke about it as much last year as we are this year. It's just um, an issue that seems to be cropping up and is seems to be hurting the Nuggets more than it is last year. I don't know why. Maybe they're game planning for him better. Maybe he's actually just gotten worse at at that skill I don't think that's it but I can't think of many reasons why it seems to be like more of an issue this year than last year well if he can just shoot 70 percent from the field every game it's not going to matter her so yeah just uh go one four flat and let Jamal cook out on the three-point line <laughs> that way you don't have to pass the ball to anybody so let's talk about what happened at the end of the game and to set that up let's take a question from the total beverage fan hotline What's up, guys? It's Ray from Maryland. Super awesome win against the Celtics last night. Uh, I had a question about Jamal Murray's last-second shot attempt. My initial reaction was that it wasn't big of a, wasn't that big of a deal, but obviously Kyrie's very upset. Obviously, Brad Stevens wasn't happy about it, and of course, a lot of Celtics supporters and you know just some people across the league aren't super high on him taking that shot. Uh, my thought was that, you know, the defense is pressuring him right up until the last second. It wasn't like they were waving the white flag. And who are we here to? We don't have to be friends. You know, just a competitive thing. I don't know. What are you guys' takes on it? Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks for the question, Ray. And, yeah, let's get into it right now. So here's what happened in the lead-up to that play. Game's well out of hand. Jamal Murray's sitting at 48 points. Like I mentioned, he had that twisting layup on the possession prior that would have gotten him 50 where the Celtics were playing defense. There was like a minute left in the game at that point, and he can't get that to go. And you can tell he wants 50. Michael Malone is signaling for him on the sidelines not to shoot it. (laughs) Sure enough, he makes eye contact with Malone, looks back at the basket, launches a 30-footer. And it misses. We differ in our opinions on if we think Jamal Murray should have shot this ball or not. What's your take on it? I don't think he should have shot it. I thought it was a pretty dumb move. I mean, it was hilarious for Malone just clearly saying, like, do not shoot this ball because he saw the look Murray had in his eyes. And Murray just be like, sorry about that, coach. He had that look. That's a great way to put it. He had that look in his eyes that, like, stare and that half smile and you knew he was going to shoot it I bet Malone even knew it too (laughs) I mean look you know Jamal Murray's cockiness and competitiveness is what makes him great and occasionally it gets him into a little bit of trouble I mean he dribbled that basketball around Lonzo Ball in the waning seconds that Lakers game and just got booed mercilessly in LA afterwards I have a feeling that his trip to TD Garden in March is going to go about the same you know, look, I don't think that it was disrespectful. I agree with that. I disagree with that characterization of it. I do agree with how Kyrie Irving described it today. It was thirsty. It was just a thirsty move to me. I don't think that getting, you know, 
50 points crossing that finish line is something you should do cheaply like that when they're not playing defense. I mean, he had his two shots to get 50. They were both good looks within the flow of the game when it was still competitive. I just, look, I'm not big on unwritten rules, but one one of them I do believe in is if the game's out of hand, then you just dribble out the clock. The game was out of hand. He, he could have dribbled out the clock. Here's my take on it. If Kyrie Irving is going to be so pissed about him taking an uncontested three, just go play defense on him and don't let him take the three. Just play shadow defense on him. Like Jalen Rose said today, if you don't want a guy to get 50, don't allow him to get 48. Just go play shadow defense. Just go like give him a high five, and then he's not going to – shoot the ball and get 50. Jamal would have fake dapped him up and then launched a three <laughs> in Isaiah. I don't think the fake I five would have mattered. I have no problem with Jamal taking the shot. I'm very happy he took the shot. I couldn't have been more thrilled that he took that three. Why? Because the Nuggets need a villain, man. <laughs> the Nuggets need a villain, and that's Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray is living rent-free right now in the heads of both the Lakers and the Celtics and their respective fan bases. He's in Kyrie Irving's head. You know, he, he's in the Lakers' head. The so Nuggets need a badass on their team. They have so many nice guys. They have so many guys who are nice and polite and who are great players. They need a villain, and Jamal Murray is that guy. He gives the Nuggets an edge, and this was his way of giving the Nuggets an edge. I don't think he thought about it that way, but that's how it came off. I think this sets up well for Denver. Yeah, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I just think it's not worth it, um, that shot at the end, because you know the Celtics are just going to play so much harder when you have to face them next. Good. We saw that uh, effect with the Lakers last year. It just made it a lot more difficult for Denver to win, I think. Good. They should get the Celtics' best shot. And and they got the Celtics' best shot last night and beat them. Again, I think this was a great move by Jamal Murray. Denver needs a villain. They need somebody who the rest of the league hates. They do. Every great team has one. Jamal Murray is going to be that guy. I wrote last year how he was emerging as the Nuggets alpha when he dropped Steven Adams in that game. And he had a great quote afterwards where he said, yeah, I kept one eye on the ball as it was going in and one eye on Steven Adams as he was dropping to the floor. He had that same swagger in this game. The Nuggets need somebody like that. And this is Jamal Murray taking that title in Denver. Yeah. You do need to have an antagonizer. I kind of, I kind of do agree with that. Can we, can we talk about what Kyrie Irving did immediately after that? Did you yeah. see Jordy Fernandez who worked with Kyrie in Cleveland went to dap him up? Kyrie said, Nope. It was like Lucy pulling the, the football away from Charlie Brown. And then Kyrie just picks up the basketball and launches it like 30 rows into the crowd. And then he gets docked 25K for that. <laughs> he was pissed. Like what? Who throws the ball into the crowd? Talk about petty. Yeah, that's a bad move, man. You can't you be doing it. You can't have your game ball, so I'm going to throw it into the crowd where a Jamal Murray fan actually catches it. How well, ironic is that? Imagine if there was like a little kid walking away and like he didn't see it and it conked him in the head or something like that. But the ball deserves to go into the crowd after a bullshit move like that. So I threw it in the crowd. Okay, Kyrie Irving. Yeah, you can't be you, throwing basketballs you do in the you. crowd. You okay. do you. Hot take. That might even like warrant a one-game suspension in my book, not just a, you know, a financial hit. Throwing the ball into the crowd? Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous. Man, you are Mr. Unwritten Rules and uh, Suspensions. Don't throw the ball into the crowd is an unwritten rule? A one-game suspension for throwing the ball into the crowd? You can't Come be messing on. with the fans. You can't be messing with the fans. Come on, man. All right. Let, let the guys have a little fun here. This isn't the no fun league. All right, let's go ahead and take a break real quick. We'll be right back. Some more discussion about this game on Wancho's Night on the bench play. We'll be right back on the BSN Nuggets podcast. Hey, BSN fans, your favorite Colorado sports network has partnered with your favorite Colorado beer, and we're giving them away for free. But in true BSN fashion, we're not letting you go to some major chain for it. We want you to go to your local neighborhood bar and support a real Colorado business. That's why we've created the bar page where any BSN subscriber can go in and get a free beer whenever they want. Just go to BSNbars.com and you can get one free Coors Banquet at any bar on that list. All you have to do is show the bar 
bartender the VIP image on that page in your browser, and you can retrieve a free Coors Banquet beer at any of those bars. There are over 20 bars there. You're sure to find one close to you. It's bsnbars.com. Find a bar and get a free Coors Banquet on the house. Thanks for listening to the BSN Denver Podcast Network. Welcome back to the BSN Nuggets Podcast presented by In We Go, Harrison Wynn, Christian Clark here, Tuesday edition of the show. I'm still buzzing off this victory, Christian. 48 points for Jamal Murray a night. I know he's not going to forget. I don't think I'm going to forget that night either. Fans in attendance were great. That's another thing, too. Let's talk about that, actually, before we get into Wancho. The crowds have been at another level this year compared to last year. Fourth sellout of the year last night at Pepsi Center in, what, six games? Six home games so far? Fans are coming out. The fans are loud. The fans are engaged. In previous years, when Boston would come into town, it'd be mostly Celtics fans. It definitely felt like a Nuggets-heavy crowd last night, although there were some green there. There were some Celtics fans there. But that's another reason why the vibe around this team feels different because there's a ton more support in this city. And I don't know about you. I can just feel the city getting behind the team right now. The loudest I've ever heard Pepsi Center in my three seasons covering the team was in that fourth quarter against Utah when Rudy Gobert stepped to the line and the Nuggets were just in the middle of crushing the Jazz during that crazy fourth quarter run. The crowd, again, was phenomenal. It was the loudest when they got the free Chick-fil-A, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, people in Denver love some Chick-fil-A. Me too, by the way. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I would would take a bath in Chick-fil-A sauce. You know, in games or in years past... The Warriors games have been what it feels like 50-50 Warriors Nuggets fan. The Warriors game earlier this season was felt like it was almost exclusively Nuggets fans. Crowd has been phenomenal, and I mean it, it just seems like it's so much easier, you know, to give a hundred percent if if you're one of the players if you've got a crowd like that. I mean, it, I I really do think a significant part of you know like those losses to the Hawks in January last year because. There just weren't that many people there, and yep. it's hard to get up for in games like that. It does seem like it's hard to get up for games like that, for sure. The Nuggets weren't able to do that last year, and, and they are this year. We'll see what it looks like Friday against the Nets. Friday night should be a good crowd, but I don't know how many fans the Nets are going to bring with them. We'll see. Should be another interesting test for Denver. So the storyline this game that got overshadowed was how I think there might be a change in the starting lineup. Wednesday against Memphis. Wancho Hernan Gomez, he's been playing really well these past couple games. Did it again, I thought, Monday against the Celtics. Mike Malone takes Torrey Craig out after just a couple minutes, and the Nuggets are getting murdered. Wancho comes in, kind of helps halt the tide there. And look, we've talked about this. I think we both agree Wancho's the best fit with this starting unit. 24 minutes, three of six from the field. He hits two threes. He was only a plus one, um, but you know he was riding with this bench unit. And and so I guess the first question I have for you is, do you think that Michael Malone switches up his starting lineup? He went to Wancho in the second half. Does he switch things up Wednesday against the Grizzlies? Yeah, I think we're going to see a change coming. I okay. mean, he, he was asked about, you know, the decision to only play Tory two minutes and 44 seconds that game and, and go with Wancho at the start of the second half. And, you know, he, he didn't beat around the bush. Mike Mullen said we could not sco- score the ball to start the game. Literally two minutes into the game, I, I subbed Tory out and Wancho in just to give us some spacing. Wancho has been shooting the ball well. He's someone that they have to guard. I decided to start the third quarter with that same unit just to give us a better chance to score. I feel like we've reached our tipping point. Wancho has played really, really well lately. And, I mean, I I still think Torrey Craig is going to be a valuable part of this team moving forward, but I, I just think it's time to make the change. Torrey just has doesn't have a lot of confidence right now on the offensive end. He's made three shots outside of five feet in 165 minutes this season. That's just a killer. I mean, I don't care how good the other four players in your starting lineup are offensively. That's just a killer. It is a killer. It's killed the Nuggets in first quarters against the Celtics and against the Cavs, too. I mean, these last couple games, they have not gotten out to good starts in the first quarter. Their offense hasn't clicked. I think we know Wancho is the best fit at small forward. He should be the starting small forward. I'm not convinced, though, 
that Michael Malone is going to go to him in the starting lineup. I really do believe that as long as they're winning, however ugly it might be, however sense it might make to move Wancho into the starting lineup, I'm not convinced that we're going to see it Wednesday in Memphis. And I don't think it's about Michael Malone being stubborn or not realizing that Wancho is the best fit. Coaches are, are super like superstitious and just totally routine oriented and they're winning. They're winning games right now. And even though Tory's not the best fit with that starting group, the fact that they're still winning, that makes me feel like he might not switch things up. He just wants to keep the train rolling. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a hundred percent convinced Wancho will be in there. It's just a, just a gut feeling and, you know, kind of based off some pretty strong quotes from Malone after the game, but yeah, it wouldn't shock me if Tory Craig is in there. Michael Malone has done a great job this season, by the way. I mean, he's, I guess that's kind of a small gripe that that Wancho, you know, probably probably should have been in that starting lineup a couple games ago, but he really does seem to, to be pressing all the right buttons right now, and especially with the defense too, it, it makes me think that. I mean, look, I'll be honest. Like, I, I put a lot of blame uh, on Malone last year for de- Denver's defensive shortcomings, and you know, watching them this year, it just makes me think like, I mean, the players just had to get to a place mentally where they wanted to play defense. Mm-hmm. You guys listening probably laughed at me when I said I wouldn't be surprised if Mike Malone got coach of the year consideration early on in the 2018-2019 season. You remember when I said that? I said that loud and clear a couple weeks ago on the podcast. If you're looking for your leading coach of the year candidates right now, it's three guys. It's Nick Nurse in Toronto. It's Mike Budenholzer in Milwaukee. And it's Mike Malone in Denver. The Nuggets are 9-1. and one. Their one loss is tied with the fewest losses in the league out of any teams. There are four teams right now with one loss, Toronto, Milwaukee, Golden State, and Denver. And you're right. Mike Malone is pushing all the right buttons right now. He pushed all the right buttons at the end of last year over the Nuggets stretch run. He did everything right this summer into training camp and into the beginning of the season with the bench, with the defensive stuff that he's doing with the certain lineups that he's picking. We haven't seen many lineups this year that we look at and we're like, wow, why are those five guys on the floor together? He's pushing all the right buttons. He's had a great year so far. Yeah, and and one of the things that helps is he's got, you know, a competent backup point guard on this roster. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier was was just not getting the job done last year. He went to Will Barton, you know, uh, probably a third or halfway through the season at at backup point guard. And that was just the best move he had because this team parted ways with Jameer Nelson before the start of the season. So having Monte has been huge for this team. Having Mason Plumlee, who I I think is healthier this year than he has been in years past, has been really, really big. Monte and Mason have been freaking awesome this year. I mean, Malik and Wancho are a little bit better too, but the chemistry those two guys have together in the pick and roll and what those guys bring to the table defensively has been really fun to watch. How many minutes and hours do we spend potentially talking about a Monte Morris, Mason Plumlee pick and roll and how great that was going to be with the bench unit? And we're seeing that come to fruition this season with the bench unit. I think that goes to show that we were right about a lot of things we talked about throughout the summer and throughout the preseason. We were right about the defense improving. We were right about Michael Malone pushing the right buttons. We were right about the impact Paul Millsap could make. We were right about the natural progression that Jamal Murray and Gary Harris would have. We were right about the fact that Trey Lyles would be a competent backup power forward. The 9-1 start is stunning. To be quite honest, I did not think they'd start 9-1. and one. But a lot of the things that have happened along the way haven't been too surprising outside of the defense being the third best in the league. Thought the defense would be improved, not to the level it is right now. But I, mean, I thought they'd have a big year. I had them at 50 wins. and Obviously, they're on a pace for much more than 50 wins right now. But... You know, a lot of these things that have happened this year, I feel like we could kind of see coming. I don't know. Maybe that's me getting on my high horse. That was a little high horsey, but I, I do feel, uh, I, I mean, I feel pretty good uh, about, you know, the analysis we provided this summer and everything. But, I mean, the the defense has just come out of nowhere. And, 
I mean, that's what makes this stuff so fun because, I mean, you can watch every every game. You can watch every game multiple times. You can be around the team all the time. And it, you just can't see something coming like the Nuggets are, are going to be one of the hardest-playing teams in the entire NBA on the defensive side of the floor. They hated playing defense last year. I mean, if you don't believe me, go back and watch that Miami game. They lost in Miami. It was disgusting. I mean, just breakdown after breakdown after breakdown. And everybody's moving on a string this year, uh, closing out three-point shooters, multiple efforts. I mean, I asked Gary Harris about just the effort they're giving on the defensive end this year compared to last year, and he just laughed and shook his head before he answered the question. <laughs> that was hilarious. I mean, it's incredible. I It's a night and day difference. I, I don't understand how the switch got flipped like this. I mean, I, I know that Minnesota game played a big part in it, but it's incredible. There's no precedent for something like this happening. There's zero precedent in the league for a team who brings back the entire same rotation minus Wilson Chandler from a year ago and goes from one of the worst defenses in the league to one of the best. There's zero precedent for that, for a roster that year to year is the same. It's unbelievable the job that Mike Malone's done, Wes Unseld's done, the entire coaching staff has done, and also the players too. They deserve a lot of credit. Here's something else we were right about. Remember the preseason, how good the Nuggets bench unit looked? And we were saying, man, they could be the Toronto Raptors bench unit of last year. Come in and just provide a spark, maybe go 10 deep. We've been right about that. This bench unit has been unbelievable this year. Against Boston, they were great again. Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, Mason Plumley, Trey Lyles, and Wancho. Malik Beasley's kind of been up and down. I'm not sure if I fully trust him yet. Wancho, I trust. Trey Lyles, I trust. Mason Plumley, I trust. Monte Morris, I trust. But all in all, those guys, those four or five guys from the bench that play every night have been about as good as the Nuggets could have hoped for them to be so far. Yeah, Monte was really fun to watch last night. I mean, a, a plus 14 in, in just 20 minutes on the floor. Just played his usual, you know, no mistake brand of basketball. Monte is a better defender than I, I thought he was going to be um, against NBA competition. I mean, I, I felt pretty strongly about his ability to to run an offense after watching him just dominate in summer league. But he's been impressive defensively as well. I mean, he held his own and more against some, some big guards last night. Terry Rozier, who's a freaking beast. Monte has got some great hands. He's, he's got some sticky fingers. <laughs> uh, I mean, he's great to watch. Yeah, he's very uh, handsy, as Jamal Murray put it <laughs> in the preseason. He's not afraid to put his body on the line. You mentioned that charge he took earlier in the show. He gets his hands in there for strips every now and then. He's been great. It's going to be really fascinating to see what happens when Isaiah Thomas gets healthy here. And that was another big storyline coming into this game. Isaiah Thomas, obviously his Celtics teammates that were on Boston when he was there are still really fond of him. Brad Stevens loves Isaiah Thomas, so there was that connection. And now it seems like there's going to be a lot of eyes on this rematch when the Nuggets visit the Celtics March 18th. And you got to think that the booze will rain down on Jamal Murray just like they did the next game after the whole Luke Walton, Lonzo Ball disrespectful thing happened in Denver. Oh, yeah, that's also going to be Isaiah Thomas's first game back playing in Boston in the Garden since he was injured. Will be a little bit of a busy night on March 18th. Yeah, circle that one on your calendar. I, I feel like Jamal Murray's going to love it. He's a wrestling heel. I want to close with one more question from the Total Beverage Fan Hotline. We got a lot of them after this game. Thanks for calling in, guys. Sorry if I wasn't able to get to your question. I'll save it possibly for Wednesday's show. But, again, the Total Beverage Fan Hotline, 1-800-BSN-8394 if you want to give it a call. 1-800-BSN-8394. Let's go back there right now. Hello, this is Corey from Florida. This is Fresh off that Jamal Murray 48-point game. Almost had 50. Kind of felt like the Celtics were per purposely not fouling him so he couldn't get those extra two points, but that's all right. The Nuggets just went up against a really, really solid team. And that was 
for the most part, healthy. We know Kyrie Irving is getting his groove back, and he did his thing in this game. Gordon Hayward's getting his win back after coming off an injury. My question is, do you think that the Nuggets are a top four team or top five team in the NBA? Not just in the West, but in the NBA. Talking about the Raptors, Celtics, Bucks, Warriors, and whoever else. Uh, thank you for taking my question. Thank you for the guys for the awesome work that you guys do throughout the week. And go Nuggets, 9-1. and one. Thanks, Corey, for the question. It's a good way to wrap up today's show. It was a fun Tuesday edition of the pod. Where do the Nuggets rank amongst the league's best teams? Let's start in the West. Right now, they're playing like the second-best team in the West. I'm sorry if that's too bold, but right now, through 10 games, I believe they're the second-best team in the West. I'm not sure if they'll wind up as the second-best team in the West, but right now, they're playing at that level. Second-best point differential in the West, tied with Portland. Tied with Portland and Toronto for the third-best point differential in the league behind Toronto and Golden State. This team... I feel is playing, like like I said, as as the second best team in the West right now. They've got the ability to finish the top four seed in the Western Conference and get home court. In the entire league, man, I don't know. Toronto's playing at a high level. Milwaukee's playing at a high level. Golden State's playing at a high level. So I'd say best right now, if you're looking to put together like a NBA power rankings, you could slot Denver fourth and get away with it, I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's totally reasonable. They're they're third in net rating right now. I mean, top ten in offense and defense. That's pretty remarkable. Um, it's been an amazing start for Denver, and you know, I I think what these ten games have shown. You know, before the season, Mason Plumlee wrote on his personal blog, um, and one of his hot takes was that Denver is going to finish with home court advantage. That's not even considered a hot take anymore, right? Like that's, I mean, I think that's perfectly reasonable that's a prediction I had as well with the fourth seed in the west but as I was saying with the shift in expectations that's what happens when you start out nine and one now the expectations are two seed (laughs) (laughs) maybe not two seed but four five six seed at minimum that's how quickly things change yeah I mean it's crazy how many Smart basketball fans around the league you say are saying right now, oh, the Nuggets look like they're for real. I mean, it's because of the defense, too. I mean, we know, especially when Will Barton comes back, this team is going to be ridiculous offensively. I really don't have any doubts in my mind that Denver's going to finish like top six in offense or something like that. But they look legit because they're playing insane defense right now. I mean, they're playing defense that looks like it's going to hold up in the playoffs. That's crazy. That last statement from you just sent my mind for a spin. Thinking about the Nuggets playing defense in the playoffs, wow. That's something I've never thought about when prognosticating their playoff chances. They've always been this offensive team, but wow, if they could play defense in the playoffs, that'd be something. Here's something else. Nuggets shot a season-high 38.2% from three-point range last night. Hey, Is the three-point stroke coming back? Uh, Jamal Murray and Gary Harris are due. And I guess Jamal Murray got his last night a little bit. But, uh, I mean, we know those guys are going to shoot it in the high 30s at least. Did Mason Plumlee's three-pointer cure Denver's early season three-point power outage? Quite possibly. And I hope he doesn't attempt another one so he can finish the season 100% three-point shooter. I agree. That's a good way to end today's show. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back with another episode on Wednesday. Talk with you then.